Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 159 of the Get Around Podcast. My name is Jake Adnip. I'm sitting remote while James Cook technically hosts this episode from the Record Eagle office. Boys, it has been a crazy week. We had the busiest week of football in January anybody could have ever asked for, let alone it being in January. If this was in November, we would have had a crazy week. We had so many games to talk about, so many games to attend, and we saw a couple of wins. What was the most exciting thing from your guys' weekend, especially with the travel that we had to make? You know, I saw a post from uh, one of our TV reporters, and he highlighted all, all the places where he had driven for to cover political stuff. And he says, I'm a driver full-time, and I do journalism on the side. I think that's what uh, kind of describes our uh, weekend for the most part. I mean, you were in Edwardsburg, which is a story Division Four program. You described the town as football, a subdivision, and a couple of fields. What was the sign that you read when you walked in? Right at the beginning of the school, it said, I'm sure they put this up for everybody, but they paint, it was painted, a big like panel painted. It said, Cadillac, you're not playing a football team, you're playing an entire town. And what cracked me up, it basically felt like that. You, you drove through the town, there was not you know, not much going on there except for the big high school, the big public schools, and the middle school, the elementary school, the high school, all in the same spots, and just a huge campus for Edwardsburg. But the one thing that stuck out to me, and I have to bring it up, I tweeted about it, but I've never in my life been salivating for so long during a football game. In Edwardsburg, there is a bakery it's called Brothers Bakery. Somebody informed me on Twitter. It is literally adjacent to the fences at the football field. And there's a Little League baseball field right behind it. And all the sporting complexes right next to the, the school is a bakery. And I swear, it was the most intoxicating smell of donuts the entire time. It's like you were just sitting inside of a cream and like we're just being told you couldn't eat donuts. I literally don't know how everybody in Edwardsburg isn't like extremely obese or how they can even focus during a football game. Cause I swear to God, I had like a ski mask on a full deal and the whole time, all I could smell was donuts. And as soon as I left, I had to go to the gas station and like get a little snack and like get something because I was just dying during that football game. I can only imagine what the players were like having to smell donuts every time they got hit by somebody getting popped. And then, oh, my God, donuts, it smells good. I can't feel bad about myself anymore. <laughs> I must be in some form of, like, pseudo-heaven. Just to, to You get knocked out or whatever. You get that stinger and you just open your eyes. It just smells like donuts. You might think that something actually happened to you then. I, I nearly ran out of gas uh, near, I think it was Irons. I had passed by a gas station, and, I, and then the light comes on. It says, and uh, fuel level low. And then I have 40 miles in the nearest gas station to 20 miles. I'm like, great, this this is fun. I didn't realize the closest gas station was five. I had passed it five miles ago. So when the GPS rerouted me, it takes me down like this four mile road and I have to take a left on this unnamed road. Well, the road was full of snow. So I basically had the two tracks through that road <laughs> and get my way out of it. And I also didn't realize the field in Muskegon wasn't even clean during the time that I was driving there. They got done with it 30 minutes before kickoff. Because their superintendent tweeted out a photo, tweeted out a photo field, like, so what happened was they took off the tarp because they knew it was going to snow and they didn't want the field underneath to turn into all mud. So we're just going to let the snow fall off and we'll take care of it in the morning, depending on how bad it is. Well, there's a foot of snow on the field and there's a football game in three hours. So the superintendent tweets out a photo of the field and he's like, look, we need snowblowers, we need shovels, we need volunteers, like, now. Next thing you know, there's like dozens of people showing up the field and they clean the thing off. And you would, you did not notice one day. From what I saw from the, the superintendent, over 200 people came out to help. 
do that, but that's what has to happen. Yeah, well, one volunteer told me a hundred, and all of them brought their own shovels. Yeah, but we, I mean, this is what we talked about. This is January football. Nobody knew how to take care of a field. Nobody knew what to expect. And just like, hey, we need to do this and do it quickly. James, what was uh, what was the best part of heading out to Kansas City? Well, I got home at about two thirty in the morning, on Sunday technically. Uh, I stopped in Bay City to uh, at a college friend of mine's house, and uh, we watched the uh, second half of the Buffalo Baltimore game, and then I went on my way, just so I could so get, break up the trip a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure that was a long day. Hey, what time did you leave? At like eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, I think I left at like I left at like ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, you, you had a two o'clock. Because it was a two o'clock game, and it was like a three an hour and fifteen minute drive, or so. So. Yeah. Well, let, let's go ahead and talk about that game. And you, you go, you go ahead and go first, James. That was one of the wins that we had. Thirteen to twelve, Traverse City St. Francis beats Cass City. Cass City beat the number one team in the state, Ithaca, the week before. Uh, but no, nonetheless, a defensive battle for the ages. What was that game all about? Well, first off, I would just like to thank Traverse City St. Francis and Cadillac for allowing us to cover indoor games. Yes, because yes, I've yes. I've frozen my butt off at the last I don't know how many football games I've been at. So it'll be so nice to be inside Ford Field on Friday and Saturday for those two games. But that game was it was one of those games where both of these teams are kind of a war of attrition type of team where they're trying to wear down the other team. They're pounding the ball. You know, not a whole lot of throwing. St. Francis did a little bit more than, than Cass City, but uh, I think Cass City only attempted to pass the ball six times. They only were able to attempt four passes because two times Aiden Schmuckle sacked them. And then they went one for four on, on passing the ball. You know, that, that one pass that they completed was a 33-yard completion that uh, set up one of their uh, times that they got in the red zone. But otherwise, they pretty much just pounded the ball between their quarterback and two running backs all the time just getting the ball. Like we'll see with the interview with Aiden Ferris, you know, talking about everybody just had to play, you know, your, your guy. Or, you know, hit the ball carrier no matter who it is and whether he has the ball or not because you don't know how he has, if he has the ball because they ran really good fakes. There was a lot of times I was sitting there taking pictures on the sidelines, and I'm completely taking photos of the wrong guy. Well, I feel I'm, you I'm on taking that. pictures of a St. Francis guy tackling somebody that doesn't have a ball, and uh, it's just that kind of that responsibility assignment football, and just power of football, man. Really good, really good defense though by St. Francis, but by both teams really. But St. Francis had a couple of goal line stands there that really just saved the game for him, and having a kicker. And Bryce Kempf, uh, you know, that ended up being the difference. They kicked an f- extra point in their first touchdown. Cass City does not have a kicker that they trusted enough to kick extra points, so they just go for two all the time. St. Francis shut both of those down, and, you know, they kicked an extra point. St. Francis went for two on their second touchdown just because why not at, point, that, at, that, at that point? Yeah, to make it a three-point lead rather than two. But, uh, you know, so the extra point made the difference. Those goal line stands made a difference. St. Francis was able to complete the ball on a couple of really nice pass plays that they had early in the game. They started throwing the ball more than I expected. St. Francis did. Charlie Peterson dropped back a couple of times on like third and fourth and long. I think it was like third and eight or, or third and 11, and then like fourth and eight, they went for it. And both times he hit Jimmy Muzlakovich over the middle for their first down. I mean, that was their first drive of the game that they ended up getting a touchdown on. Yeah, I know. I know that you brought up those the two point conversions and everything like that. That's kind of what the, I mean. Obviously, the end of the game for my game out at Cadillac at Edwardsburg. I mean, that had to be probably the upset of the weekend across the state. 
if you ask me. I looked at a lot of the scores. Uh, the majority of the favored teams won those games. The majority of the teams that were favored won those games. And it definitely uh, surprised me to see Cadillac pull that out. But the big difference was, like you said, Edwardsburg did not try to kick a field goal. They had two-point conversions, and Cadillac stopped three out of four of them, including the final one in the final minute with 56 seconds left. I mean, it was nail-biting. Fella, you were chewing glass. They took There was three timeouts consecutively um, before that before the play, um, and it was just like you had no idea what type of strategy was happening. But Cadillac, they, they did such a good job of not quite shutting down Edwardsburg offense, but slowing them down to such a halt that all they had to do was get ahead, and they were able to stay ahead. Uh, Cadillac ended up with a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter after they drove down the field, and Caleb McKinley scored on a, you know, a short run. But the thing about this game was Cadillac was actually able to grind out first downs, was actually able to run so much clock off. Because Edwardsburg, that's usually their game. Like you said, James, they run the wing tee down at Edwardsburg, which is all deception. They basically are handing the ball off to four different people every single play. You just don't know who it is. You got to guess. It took them a couple seconds to get used to it, but the outside contain for Cadillac was so good that anytime they were running around the corners, they didn't get much yardage. They were headed off to the sidelines. Uh, up the middle, they gashed them for a few to begin with. The surprising thing was, you know, the Edwardsburg athletes were, were very, very good athletes. Uh, when they really put their shoulder down and they really started digging in, they were running through some Cadillac kids and, you know, shaking a lot of tackles. And the touchdowns that they had were runs of 37, 16, 29, they were big plays, the exception of one that um, was saved by a string tackle where the kid ended up falling at like a two-yard line um, after stumbling for like 10, 12 yards. It was a shoestring tackle that saved the touchdown. They ended up scoring anyways, but um, the resiliency of Cadillac to go up against an Edwardsburg team that had only lost one game since their state finals loss in 2017. And if you go back, there was only two games since the beginning of 2017. It was something like 42-2 and two since the beginning of 2017, and they only lost to DeWitt and Muskegon Catholic Central, Grand Rapids Catholic Central in those games. So going into that game, Cadillac was such heavy underdogs. I don't think anybody gave them a chance. We didn't really give them a chance. Uh, I thought, you know, I was going to go down there and see a, a, a big lopsided loss for Cadillac, and they came out in, like, the very first possession. They stopped them on defense which showed that Cadillac had the ability to stop that wing tee, stop these athletes, and then they went down and scored. And the momentum never really left Cadillac's side because they kept on making plays. And, uh, you know, like you said, with Cass City, Edwardsburg only threw the ball, I think, three times. And it was literally the most predictable thing ever. It was on 4th and 11, 4th and 17, 4th and 19. They didn't put the whole punt the whole game. They never put a punter back. They never kicked the ball. But they would have to line on 4th and 17 and throw the football. And I kind of found it funny that they were complaining that when the pass was batted, it had to be pass interference. And it's like, you obviously don't see enough passes in the year to know what pass interference is. <laughs> the whole crowd was going crazy. And it's like, no, they had their hands up. They, they defended the ball perfectly. The ball was like six yards under thrown on a couple of the passes. But nonetheless, Cadillac was able to defend those. And Cadillac almost took a, a two-score lead in the first half when a halfback pass fell just short. But he was wide open. And Connor Johnson just missed him by a minute on a halfback pass on like a third and 14. But nonetheless, Cadillac impressed the heck out of me uh, with their heart, with their grit, going down to Edwardsburg, dealing with the donut smell and being able to focus against the Eddies was just incredible. 
you had the you had the donut smell, and but right behind the fence that I was uh, taking pictures from the sideline, behind right behind me was was three large like farm flatbed farm trucks that they had parked just outside the fence, and then they had put chairs and heaters and tables and stuff in the front two in the front and then there was one behind them that they actually had a set of bleachers put on and there was about a hundred or so people from cast city watching the game there in addition to the ones that were allowed in virtually none of them had masks on and they were all just packed in these three back of these three trucks let's think how they weren't in the game yeah i'm like I, I tweeted a photo of it out at halftime and a friend of mine replied and said uh, this is why we can't have nice things <laughs> exactly. Cadillac's win against Edward Berg is probably the biggest surprise that I've had in, in the last like three entire, years. Well, maybe not the last three years, but the, at least this entire sporting year, I had I had no inkling that Cadillac was going to pull that out. But you know, you look like, back I, at their I, schedule. I said on I said when I went on seven and fours, even down Sports Corner with Harrison Beebe, that you know Cadillac's going to be the dark horse in the playoff because look who they've had to play. All schools they bigger than him in Traverse City Central and Traverse City West, who were poised to make a solid run in the playoffs. You know, both of those schools got past their first round opponents. Central was his uh, state semifinalist. Those were the only two teams they had lost to. So, and, and the Big North Conference this year was strong. Yeah, like really strong. Once again, I, I feel like everybody uh, forgets Cadillac is by far the smallest school in the Big North Conference. All those other schools are are going to be Division Two, Division One, like Matoski's Division Three. But Alpena has so many kids. Gaylor's got a bunch of kids. These are big, a lot bigger schools than Cadillac, and Cadillac has been putting up a fight in every aspect. And like you said, just losing to Traverse City Central and Traverse City West, that has to you know bode really well. They're playing up the entire season. They didn't have a non-conference schedule when they normally be playing those Division Four teams, but they've only been playing up this year. Cadillac impressed me, and I'm I'm really looking forward to their matchup here in the state finals. Like, like I, I want to say I underestimated them, but at the same time, like, we kind of didn't. We, they were just, they just really hadn't played anyone downstate yet. Like, we, we didn't know what they were capable of. Like, yeah, the, only, yeah, so, the but, only times that we saw Cadillac, they lost to Traverse City Central and Traverse City West, who were both two yeah, very, very good teams. They played Gaylord twice, Alpena, Petoskey, and Central and West. So you really don't know. I mean, we know how the big North Conference is, but... And nobody ever respects Northern Michigan football. I'll put it out there. They never respect Northern Michigan sports. They think it's no good. But regardless of that fact, Cadillac is going to be down there, going to be one of our teams at Ford Field. So we got two this year. We were talking about that Big North Conference, Andrew. I know last week I talked a big game about Traverse City Central's explosive offense being able to hopefully take out Mona Shores. Might have looked like that in the first half, but oh, sure. uh, they ended up losing that game. What ended up happening there? I've never seen a more complete football performance than what Brady Rose did against Traverse City Central. Since Graham Mertz, who played for Latham Northwest in uh, Kansas, he's now the quarterback of Wisconsin, and they were saying that at the time he was going to really turn around their program, and he was the one that scored like five touchdowns week one. Anyways. There's Andrew's Kansas reference of the show. I, I have to fit it in there, James. But no, really, no, the kid was good. 175-pounder, um, 5'9", Michigan's 1-2 uh, player of the year by the Associated Press, and he showed exactly why he was. I mean... 200 all-purpose yards on offense, not just leading the team in tackles on defense, but he was just a smart defensive back. You know, we talked to him after the game, and when he was matched up with Carson Hall on the outside, he noticed he knew the routes that he was going to run and just anticipated right away and say, hey, Josh Prime, throw me the pass. That's the interception that turns around the game, runs it for a pick six, and now all of a sudden they didn't have the lead off that pick six, 
but you just knew that you know, that sideline was quiet all game, and they were, that was when they had the that was when they had the turnaround. Anyways, it didn't shut down anything Josh Burnham and the Chargers did. Two hundred and sixty all-purpose yards from him, leading the team in tackles. That was pretty crazy. Rose even was talking with Burnham with all with him all game, and they were just like, "You are a good football player." No, you are a good football player. Almost what we saw with Tom Brady and Drew Brees after that playoff game yesterday. Like, there's that kind of mutual respect between really good quarterbacks that are going on to play college football. You know who your the name is going to the game, and you're like, "Oh man, I can't wait to play against that guy. Just see what we're capable of." The difference is, one's a junior and one's a senior, and even their coach Matt Koziak said they are going to be good next year. And this is a guy that's brought into the state finals for the last three, four years. Yeah, Traverse City Central's future is bright. We've talked about this before. I mean, they have they have a boatload of juniors led by Josh Burnham. A lot of those guys, I mean, Carson Bordeaux, we just talked to. We got a lot of guys who are still going to be back here, hopefully making another run at possibly a state final next year. Um, there was two other games that were state semifinals that didn't quite work out in our, games, in our team's favor at a state final that definitely didn't work out in our, our team's favor. So let's dive into those. I'll start with that state finals. They lost 47-0 to to Adrian Lenaway Christian. And we talked about that last week, how loaded that team was and what they've been doing to other opponents. We said that the Suns Bay defense was good. Adrian Leonard Christian was putting up like 70 points throughout the rest of the playoffs. I mean, they put up 47. But that, that was a tough game for Suns Bay, not having a game to shake that rust off, having to go inside, play indoors when they've been practicing outside for a few weeks, and going up against a really good Adrian Leonard Christian team. I just want to ask you guys this one question. We can't dive too much into the game, but... Is Sutton's Bay back next year? They showed over and over again they, they got a chance. Are they back next year? I, I think they have the program going. I don't think they have, you know, those classes coming where you have, like, a dip in, a huge dip in the, the student population or anything. So I think that they keep it going. I mean, it's one of those things where once you get it rolling, you just keep yourself in this position every year and, and get yourself back in there, and, and you're going to break through. I do think Coach Garrick Opie, you know, he's – studied how eight-man offenses work. You can tell by, tell by when you watch their games that they're not going to install left-man stuff in an eight-man team. You're doing specific stuff where you're putting linemen out for passes and you're really opening up the field and seeing how it's going to work. You can tell he studied that based on how other states do it. Michigan wasn't the first, and they're not going to be the last. That's where I think Sutton's Bay definitely has the edge. Mm-hmm. Eight-player football is... You almost kind of can't play 11-player football in 8-player football. You see once in a while there'll be, like, some teams like Whitmore Prescott that will run, like, the single wing in 8-player football. And and I'm like, okay, if you can make it work, great. But to me, the, the best way in 8-player football is you got to make that space work for you. And running a wing T-type offense I don't think necessarily does. If you got some good athletes at running back and quarterback and maybe a receiver or tight end, you get them out in space and you let them do their thing because they're going to be one-on-one with somebody, and then you just say, hey, we're going to get you the ball out there. You beat that kid. And that's what Sutton's Bay did. You know, if you watch their game, like I, you, they would just open up the field and let their offense, their off athletes do their thing. You, know? mm-hmm. you do see power run teams in, in eight-player. You, you don't necessarily think that you would, but you do come across those teams, and sometimes it's based, based off of personnel. They're like, okay, well, we have a couple of big linemen. Let's play to that strength. Sometimes maybe it's just a the coach likes that offense or the coach is from 11 player and that's what they ran in 11 player. But it is all about the space and how to use that space on offense and how to teach your defensive players how to tackle because you are going to be one-on-one way more often than an 11 player football. 
and you're going to have to make that tackle one-on-one and bring that guy down by yourself without an assist. So let's go ahead and move into 11-player football now that you mentioned it. A couple other games, Johannesburg, Lewiston, another one that took a thrashing at the hands of uh, Ugly. They uh, got shut out at Thoroughby Field and, you know, after that Iron Mountain game. I think we kind of knew that the, the offense wasn't as high-powered against teams outside of the area. Did that surprise you guys as much as it surprised me that it was that big of a defeat? Yeah, I was very surprised. Yeah, I thought this was one of the games that, of the six teams that we had playing on Saturday, that was going to be pulled out by one of the teams that we cover. Didn't happen, obviously. And, you know, I'm not sure what happened there, but Chris Dabrowski, former reporter for us, covered the game for us. I mean, I did not expect 43 to nothing. Joe Berg had been playing so well this season. They came into the game a little banged up with some players here and there from that Iron Mountain. That was a, that was a tough game for them in their uh, quarterfinal, regional final, however you want to say it. But uh, I did not expect a 43 to nothing game. Can we just take a minute and appreciate how good that Iron Mountain game was? I mean, in the Superior Dome defensive battle, and they went in on the game-winning missed field goal. That's what you want in high school football. Not you don't want a forty-three to nothing loss or win. Yeah, you never have a one-point a one point game. I mean, thirteen to twelve, or what was yours, Jake? Twenty-eight, twenty-six. Twenty-eight, twenty-six. I'm the last I mean, minute play too. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, and, and mean, St. Francis' game came right down to the right down to the wire too, because in the last couple of minutes, I mean, they had the ball back in their own end. They were able to move the ball a little bit, but they weren't able to run all the clock off before they finally uh, were faced with a fourth down, and they were punting with under I can't remember it was twenty seconds to go or something. But it and, still gives a chance. That's all it takes is a chance. Yeah, and then in the blink of an eye, their returner, the ball goes right through his hands. You know, it was one of those things where the ball hit him in the chest and went through his hands. And when it does that, it goes in front of you, and it went right to Aiden Ferris. Well, and he jumps on it, Aiden and it's game over. Yeah. You know, so, when you look at Ubley's playoff record, the only team that has scored more than a touchdown on him this season was Unionville. Seaboying. Seaboying. I had to drive through there. I had to drive through Unionville Seaboying on my way to Cass City. I forgot to bring that up about the Cadillac game. Edwardsburg, in five games this year, allowed a touchdown or less. The most points they allowed all season was 16 points. The 28 points that Cadillac put up against them is the most points they've allowed in three years. Talk about just, I'm just, it was a complete upset. But we got one more game to talk about. We got one more game to talk about. And that was Grayling against Montague. This is another one that Grayling was a heavy underdog going in against the number one team in the state and, uh, you know, Division 5, 6 player of the year in their quarterback. You know, Grayling put up a good fight in the first half. They actually took a lead. It wasn't. They were tied. Up. It wasn't. Yeah, they took the lead. It wasn't too. It wasn't too bad. But that second half, Montague just took off from Grayling. They had a couple turnovers in the second half that really shot them in the foot, especially on short fields, and they really weren't able to overcome that, especially with the explosiveness of Montague's offense. That was a magical season from Grayling and Eric Tunney, though. You guys both had a chance to cover them. Uh, Can you guys just describe at least just a little bit about what this run meant to that school? What it meant to the town, man. Like one of our favorite preseason stories through COVID was when three Grayling football players that wanted to play college football turned a barn into a weight room and just used farm equipment to do pull-ups and, and work out there. Yeah, that, that was my favorite during COVID story of how it impacted the sports world. And it, it was just weird stuff like that. I mean, Hunter Ventline's hairdo and how people called him Trevor Lawrence and he sure acts like it on the acts like it on the field. They were just fun to watch. You couldn't really tackle David Millick. Drew Canary was a beast of a linebacker and I'm sure it was fun for them regard even 
going down to Montague and having a chance to play a storied program like them. I mean, you're now in the conversation with a team like that for next year. You know, people are going to say, like, okay, Grayling, you did this, so can you do it again? Eric Tunney was telling us all the time, he's getting calls and texts from people in the community saying, man, this is you're giving me hope, you're giving me something to think about, your, your team's just doing something cool for our community. Same thing with the players. I mean, I can't imagine what joy that brought to their day just whenever they would see stuff like that. Yeah, when I was talking to Nate Duvall from the, the Sutton's Bay quarterback, he was talking about how there were six teams from up here that were going to be playing on Saturday. And he's, he's like, he's like that's just really cool. And he's like, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but the football up northern Michigan is really good. There's there's a lot of good things going on up here. And Grayling certainly has. I mean, look, look, the losses were St. Francis, who's in the state finals, Kingsley, who could have been in the state finals, and Benzie Central, who they beat in the first round of the playoffs. Benzie was not a bad team this season. I mean, they gave, they gave Kingsley a pretty hard time, too. I mean, we had a lot of great football here in northern Michigan this year. We got three teams in the state finals, five state semifinalists. It has been, you know, an amazing season for football. We have one more football interview to get into, and that is with Trevor City St. Francis's Aiden Ferris, the guy who fell on that game-stealing fumble, the senior defensive back. Let's go ahead and give a listen to that interview now. Get around is happy to bring in Aiden Ferris, senior defensive back at Traverse City St. Francis. You guys playing in the state championship coming up on Saturday morning. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Well, we start off the uh, interview with the Freaky Fast Five, which is an, an ode to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Jake, you had one queued up for him. Yeah, I know that you're also a skier outside of being a football player. Where's your favorite place to ski or snowboard up in northern Michigan? Uh, definitely probably Shush. It's nice, pretty close to home, and it's got good hills, good park. It's where we train. It's our home hill. Make sure that you stay on top of, uh, stay on top of it even in the off season. Oh yeah, I'm trying to get out on the weekends when I can, and go to Hickory during the week after practice a couple times, just get some laps in to stay fresh. Would you let us hook up your recently played list on Spotify to our office speakers? And if so, what would it play? Oh, uh, it's actually probably from this weekend getting ready for the game so just probably a lot of rap a lot of hype music getting ready what's your ultra what's your ultra hype song before a football game then oh i don't really know i just have a certain place that i put on whatever song it ends on is what so, it is. so what's the taylor's playlist titled then pre-game pre-game okay pre-game okay if you were a tree what kind of tree would you be and where would you be Oh, what are those big ones? The red oaks in california those yep ones those like massive ones that are like 300 oh. years old yep does it ever matter what the opponent is playing for the music pregame? Yeah, we'll definitely take them to note, let it sink in that they are trying to get ready like we are, and they need that to get ready. We typically don't play music on a speaker before pregame. No, I feel like there's sometimes, especially in basketball, that they'll play like like the jock jams that are like the other ones that kind of like off-put the other team. It's not quite like real hype, but it's like almost like those weird songs. You're like, why are they playing this? Have you ever came across that? Actually, in Sheboygan, they were playing a lot of ACDC, and then just randomly they'd mix in some newer, just, I guess, weird songs, like you guys said, that kind of throw you off. It'd be hilarious. Somebody starts playing the YMCA before a football game, you're like, is it YMCA football? Yeah, because Cass City, was they were playing a lot of metal. 
right before yeah. the game. They were playing Slipknot and Disturbed and Metallica. And mm-hmm. when I walked up, I was like, all right, I, I, I can get into this playlist. Uh-huh. Yeah, they didn't mix in too many weird things. No, no, it was pretty much just straight up rage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when you, do you have any brothers and sisters? I have one older sister. One older sister. So you're the youngest in the family. I say, so when the family comes around, how do you get treated as a younger sibling, especially when you're the one probably reaching high heights here? In the state finals. I know that being the younger one, everybody always is trying to expect the most out of you. How does it feel being the younger sibling in the family? It's not really too different. My sister also got to win a state championship in skiing when she was a sophomore, so she kind of understands where we're coming from. I also won one in skiing when I was a sophomore, so maybe I'll get a couple more to beat hers. What is the one thing that you see people making assumptions about private schools? Uh, being that you guys are one of the few private schools that we cover. A lot of people think we're really preppy and that we're all kind of stuck up and stubborn when a lot of times that's not really the case and that we're kind of spoiled and privileged in certain ways, but kind of just have to go with it, let them think what they want to think and prove them wrong. You got to go beat them on the field, right? Yep. <laughs> so you guys are playing in the state championship Saturday, 10 a.m. at Ford Field in Detroit. Have you Have you ever attended a game in Ford Field before? I personally have not. Okay, so this will be a completely new experience. Yep. What are you most looking forward to out of out of this game? I mean, you you saw New Lothrop two years ago, so you have a little bit of familiarity with them. What are you expecting? Uh, uh, really, them to come out hard just like we would. I'm going to expect a good game, probably a little bit more of, a, of an offensive game. I'm going to guess probably a little higher score than last weekend. And we're both kind of... Got that power on offense and defense, so hopefully it'll be a good even offset game. Do you feel as if you guys actually shook off the rust in the last game? Obviously, you guys had that first game back after two months canceled, and then you get to play the game last week. I know everybody's kind of a little worried because you didn't get that extra weekend to kind of filter out that two-month break. How do you feel after getting a really tight defensive game and going into the state finals? Going into that game, we knew that we were at a little bit of a disadvantage, again, not knocking that rust off, but we knew that all week and the week before we'd been preparing and that we were ready to play them, and it took, yeah, probably a good quarter to actually get going and really knock the rust off ourselves, but once we got going, it was right back to normal. I know that was a defensive struggle, a low-scoring game. You know, according to at least the story that James Roy would have heard from the coach, that's what you guys expected out of that game and what you had to try to do after what you saw you being on that defense, what was the focus and how were you guys able to shut down that offense that dropped 45 points in a number one team the week four? The main focus was shutting down their run. All week in practice, we talked about tackling everybody that's faking a ball. We talked about making sure we're not letting anybody outside and that we're playing gap sound up front, and that's exactly what we did, and that's how we got them shut them down. Does it help or hurt that you're going to face a team that plays almost a completely different type of offense this week? I think it... I don't think it'll help or hurt. We have solid, fast backfield. I think it'll be a pretty even game. We've played teams that like to do this offense. This is you guys' first uh, finals appearance since 2008, I believe. Oh, nine. But, uh, yeah, was it just what's what's been the talk among the same France alumni base, just finals seeing a team get back to it? There's a lot of excitement. We had a nice video put together by one of our coaches before the game on Saturday. And we had a few alumni uh, film themselves and send in a video. As a, there's Chad Bigger, Riley Bola, a couple of those guys send in videos saying how we got to go out and we got to finish what we started. How do you mentally prepare yourself for you know this high level of football at 
Ford Field. I know I, I played at Ford Field when I was in high school, and it's just it's an experience. You walk in and you see the ceiling is 300 feet high, and you're like, holy crap. I mean, how do you mentally prepare yourself for something that you really don't know what you're walking into just yet? I think we really just got to focus on a task at hand, focus on getting ready for New Lothrop and just act like we're playing another game. Obviously, we're going to play with a higher intensity and a, a more awareness than we typically would earlier in the season since it's a, a state final game. But I think we just got to really focus on playing our best and shutting them down. How nice is it going to be to uh, play indoors after uh, your your last couple of games have been played in some pretty pretty bad conditions? I mean, uh, Cassidy was was cold and a, a little bit of snow, but uh, mostly just cold. And the Charlevoix game was really cold. That was even worse than the January game. Yeah, it was that night was real cold. Uh, it'll be a good improvement for footing-wise, allowing us to have crisper routes, easier to plant and go. But we do have to reacclimate our bodies to the warmth since we're so used to being outside and playing in the cold, so that may be a little struggle, but this week should help with that. As a kick returner, how much are you going to have to try to get there before the game and, and adjust to the ball coming out of the ceiling instead of out of the sky? I really I don't know what it's going to be like. Last year when we went to Iron Mountain, we practiced in the Superior Dome. So I got to catch a few a few kicks there, and it was a little different. But I think altogether it might make it a little easier. No wind variables, no wetness, nothing to really stop me from making a good, clean catch. So I think I really, yeah, just got to get used to it coming down from the ceiling instead of looking up at the sky. If you actually haven't been on that field before, you look up and you're going to be like, holy crap. Now, Coach Josh Sellers has obviously been at this a long time, and he's been pushing to get you guys back there. What type of mentality has he tried to instill in you guys this year to make this happen? This has been a crazy year, having to go down, come back, take time off. What is the mentality that you guys have had as a team in order to make you guys reach the state final? Well, before every game, he likes to tell us, you know, play with a controlled, reckless abandon. Go as hard as you can with staying in control and maintaining your job. So... During the pauses, we, as a group collectively, all tried to stay active and stay outside. Tried to get together a couple times, spaced out, throw a ball, just to stay in shape and keep our uh, our wits about us. And just to keep hope, he really just made sure that we kept hope, knew that everybody was going to do their best to try to get us this season, and that's what they did. What are the team's travel plans for going down to Detroit? We leave Friday at 7.30 to go practice in... Brighton. Oh yeah, yeah the legacy, in the, in the, the legacy center. There. Yeah, the legacy center. We're gonna go practice there, and then we'll head down to Detroit and get situated. Okay, so you're not gonna get there early enough for the Cadillac game. Probably not. I was yeah. curious if they would allow that kind of stuff with this, you know, the spectator limitations that they're gonna have. If they would allow the other teams to hang around or get there early before their games and watch other games. I'm not sure. You guys lost two out of your first three to Sault Ste. Marie and Kingsley. We all know Kingsley would have been in the semifinals if they actually had the chance to play, but how did your team rally back from 1-2 start? We're always going into the Kingsley game, we know it's going to be a hard-fought game. We know we're going to have to give it our own. They're going to do the exact same, you know, being crossed on rivals. So we were prepared for that game, and it didn't go how we wanted it to, but coming out of that, we said no more. No more losses this year. We're done with that, and so far that's what we've been doing. What was it that changed after after those games? Really, I think mentality-wise, we really clicked. We were sloppy, especially in the Sault Ste. Marie and the Kingsley game. We didn't really get our blocking assignments down like we would have liked to. We didn't play defensively sound as we would have liked to. And so we really just 
focused and put that effort forward to do the small things right. What is the biggest challenge for you kind of just getting back into school, just getting back into the swing of things, having to keep everything straight while focusing on a state type? Oh, coming back to school, I think is actually a little bit easier. It's easier to get help from your teachers and stay on top of schoolwork instead of being in your bedroom. And it's a little worrisome for contact tracing and issues like that. So we're really just focusing on trying to stay somewhat isolated as a football team and stay away from that and stay on top of our schoolwork so all of us are ready to go. How has the testing been? Has it been easy for you guys? Just kind of that stress level that no matter what, somebody could be out at any given time. Again, that goes along with the isolation. We're trying to stay as a group and not go out so much, at least school-wise and at home-wise. So trying to just stay around our families and the team. When you had exams this morning, right? Yeah, we started exams today through Thursday. So Saturday is just going to be just another test. Yep, and we have shorter days, so that'll give us time to rest up for Saturday and we won't have school Friday for anybody, so it gives us that extra day of focus instead of having to worry about school and what's going on there. I know we already kind of mentioned New Lothrop's offense, but you being a defensive back, you have to be studying pretty hard this week on uh, quarterback reads and wide receiver routes. Have you seen anything that you guys been able, you think you're going to be able to exploit just yet? I know it's early in the week, but I'm sure you guys are already preparing. Yep, we should get film during practice today, some scout film on them. So, yep, got really got to focus on what those routes are going to be, how they want to cross up the safeties and the corners, and really work on when that quarterback wants to roll out and if he likes to tuck it and go or if he wants to try to chuck a 50-50 ball to his receivers. Do you feel confident about 50-50 balls here in your season, senior season? Throughout the year, I've definitely gotten a lot more confident, and I know the guys behind me have too. I trust everybody behind me. I know we have a deep backfield that can do anything against anyone. Right after this is over, then you're pretty much going to just switch gears and go right back in, right into skiing. How much are you looking forward to that season as well, where uh, Great North Alpine looks to have a, a pretty solid team as well? Yeah, our team, we're looking pretty good. we got some improvements to make. But once we get rolling again, once I'm able to start skiing more, it'll be a, it'll be a good season. we got a Potassi always got to look out for, Harbor always got to look out for, but it should, it'll, be a, it'll be a good season for all of us. I mean, we know you got a couple of really good skiers there. You go know, with you, Sully Huzz. What are you looking forward to in your senior season, uh, in your senior ski season? Really just making those friendships with the new kids on the team, showing them what skiing is about, you know, having fun while going out and winning. Because skiing, it's a, it's, it can, you can make it a personal sport, but it really comes down to are you going to do it for your team? Are you going to make this run clean for your team to get the higher score to end up placing for states or even maybe winning states or are you going to try to go personally out and get it and maybe risk not achieving that i, I gotta ask you though because i i just started skiing snowboard and everything like that what goes through your head when you're barreling down that that mountain at like whatever it's things like 40 50 miles an hour almost i always think that too i get to the bottom i have like and i have no idea what went through my head i don't know what i did but that's what always helps about having a coach right at the bottom. They're like, all right, you did this wrong right here, or you did this right here, and you're like, all right, I'm going to go do that again, or I'm going to go fix that this run. But it usually just goes so quick that you're just like, oh, my gosh, we're like, at the bottom now. You know, I got to make this one. I got to make this one. It's gate to gate. It's all new. Do you think that helps with your decision-making skills in football, having that type of pressure when you're barreling down a mountain? Do you think that kind of like makes you think kind of quick on your feet when you're in the defensive backfield? I think it's definitely helped with reaction time being able to 
turn around and relocate where that receiver went or where that ball is in the air, I think it's really helpful with that. I know usually those defensive backs have that hip drop. You take that back step. Is that probably good for the movement on skiing? You're, you're probably used to that by now, huh? Yep, definitely helps with my ability to just spin, especially, you know, I do race, but, you know, I like to get in the park, too. So what's the sickest trick that you're able to land in the in the park? Oh, it's been a while. I didn't get in much last year, but I can do front flipping on 720, almost the 980. On skis, a front flip? Mm-hmm. Ooh, man, you're, you're crazier than I think I'll ever get. I mean, we had a pod guest that could do a 1060 or yeah, 1080. She's also an Olympian. <laughs> that's that's, that's some quick rotation off any jump here. Yeah, you, you got to be at like a Red Bull park for that. Yeah. There's like no way there's like a 20-foot jump out anywhere in northern Michigan, is there? Boyne Mountain usually makes one really big jump that has a run out. Okay. I've, n- I've never gone off of that one. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I skied, I, 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 I didn't mean to, but I ended up like skier, skirting off onto the course, and then I'm jumping over some hills and I was just I just laid on my back and rolled over the back of it. I was like, I'll just ski off the side here. Yep. <laughs> Gets a little freaky. I got one last question to get back to football. As a defensive back and I knew you play with some wide receiver too, some or some running back. Um is uh, the new Lothrop game is that something that's gonna be a little more exciting for you? Because with Cassidy, I mean, they just pretty much ran the ball between the tackles all the time and you know, UDBs were not necessarily quite as involved <laughs> in that game as normal. But uh, just, is it going to be a little more exciting, looking forward a little bit more to that and, and facing a team that's going to throw the ball a bit more? It'll be a little more challenging, which will make it more exciting. But we've played against teams who like to throw about the ball a lot or this year, just like uh, Charlotte Boy like to try to get it on us with number six. He's a quick kid. He lo- they like to try to get behind us and get it to him. But we just got to get back into going with Scout, getting some good guys in there to try to get us a good look and get used to that. Or were you just sitting there during that Cassidy game and just try to throw the ball once in a while? I'm getting bored back here. Yes, because I feel that we could have made a lot of plays on the ball that could have maybe helped make that game a little less close. But then again, I came into the game knowing that they're just going to try to slam it down our throats, so I was just trying to keep outside leverage, make sure no one's going to get outside and just have the guys inside make the plays. Thanks, Aiden, for coming on. Good luck this week at Ford Field. All right, thank you. Big thank you to Aiden for coming on to the podcast this week. That interview is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's, Freak Yeah. With that, we'll go to the Chatter that Matters, which is, you know, we still had the conclusion of the volleyball season this week as well. Jake, you did quite a bit of that. Uh, I, I was able to go, go to the one Cadillac game, but you pretty much handled the rest of it. Take her away. I mean, yeah, that I'll start in the quarterfinals. I know Music played a follower team that they dropped five starters to COVID just a few days before they played that match. So they didn't have much time to kind of work in some JV players and get those backups under wraps. But nonetheless, Music won that first match. Uh, They looked really good to start off, and then they dropped two in a row to Fowler. And, you know, they had their backs against the wall. And that was the one thing I was impressed about Music was they were really gritty, a a really grinded-out team. There was no one player who was above and beyond who was going to – 
make that team or push that team in the state finals. It had to be a team effort. And the last few sets of that match against Fowler, you could just see the heart that Misek had. Their defense was stellar. They started really getting into the flow of things to begin with. It kind of seemed like they were out of sorts once they started to lose. Um, but they started to get in the flow of things. They ended up coming back in that five-set match with 15-10 to 10 in that final set, uh, which sets them on to that state semifinal, the first one in school history, which is a huge accomplishment for the Bulldogs, especially in a season like this, having to come around and go back. I know they were super proud of even just making it down to Battle Creek. James, I know that other that quarterfinal for Cadillac, it didn't quite look like our favorite team in the area was going to make it down to Battle Creek at all um, after the first two sets there. They had to come back from 3-0. I know that you said Macy Brown led them back. Is there anything you want to add about that game? Yeah, they lost. The, the first set was very, very close. It was 24-26, tight right up until the end, until Birch Run got those last couple of points to get get over the top. Then the second one, Birch Run ran away with it, 25-15, to and things just did not look good at all. Then Cadillac literally flipped a switch. The next match, they won 25-20, then 25-19, and then they dominated the, the fifth one, 15-7. They got out to a pretty big lead in that crucial fifth match, and then were able to just kind of trade points towards the end and and cruise to get to 15. So it was a pretty impressive win to, to be resilient and come back from that 0-2 deficit and book a trip to Battle Creek for the first time in like four years. So Five, actually. It was five, yeah. It was 2015 was the last time they were down there. But, yeah, they made that trip down there. And, you know, I expected, I think, a little bit more out of Cadillac. But the thing that you got to remember is when you're getting down to Battle Creek, you're not just playing, you know, another great team. You're playing other great coaches like, you know, Michelle Pines or Lori Glass or Dave Hall or the people up in our area, those coaches who really know how to coach a volleyball game. And we talked all year about how explosive Macy Brown has been and how, how she's been able to drive that Cadillac team. From what I recall, she had 911 kills going down to Battle Creek, which was more than anybody else I saw in the state finals program. That has a lot to do with them kind of being one-faceted, and that's what happened in that state semifinal game. They took Macy Brown out of the game. They put a triple block at the net. They followed Macy back and forth like dogs following a tree from across the net. Wherever Macy went, they had three people at the net trying to block. They did a fantastic job. The big part about that was is that the opponent had two girls at the front of the net who were over six foot two. And a six foot two and a six foot three girl that it, you know it's just tough, especially when it comes to Cadillac. They they were missing, they were missing Carissa Musta, one of her family members. Uh, had co- Carissa Musta was their tallest player, and really that that made a big difference that they were not able to get a solid block up at the net and a triple block against Macy Brown limited her to only 15 kills in that semifinal match. She averages somewhere close to 30 per match, uh, so you know that that obviously was a big difference maker. They took her out of the game, and they were able to run on into the state finals. On the other side, with Misik, I think they were a little bit overmatched going down there. Battle Creek St. Phillips made a trip down there and won their 11th state title, but their 21st trip to the state finals. You can tell the difference with Misik going down there very first time even making the state semifinal. Battle Creek St. Phillips with their longtime coach, uh, who has been there and been in that state finals match, I think, eight times in the last 20 years. They really knew what they were doing. And there was a girl on Battle Creek St. Philip named Brooks Zwick, who is just a very powerful hitter and was one of those girls that could help drive a team into the state finals. And Misik, the way they play, they only do a single block, which is not very not very common. But, you know, they did they did what they could, but it was not destiny for them to get down to the state finals. Battle Creek St. Philip ended up going on and winning that state title. But nonetheless, both those teams going down and making a fantastic run in a season that probably most people thought we were never going to finish is an accomplishment in itself. The Chatter That Matters, sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. 
that brings us into the Hall of Fame. We are back at it, and I love it because we still get to put athletes into the most exclusive club in Northern Michigan. We got three new nominees. I'm going to lead it off, and I'm going to put in Caleb McKinley from Cadillac. Their fullback slash running back. I mean, this kid, he's only a sophomore. He's a pretty big kid running a fullback position, but he, he was running with reckless abandon, almost like Aiden Ferris said in the interview today. He was putting his shoulders down, running right up the gut. I don't even know if they ran him outside the tackles once, but he ended up with over 75 yards rushing. He scored both of the touchdowns in the second half that put Cadillac up, and he converted those two-point conversions for them, which gave them the difference of 28 to 26. So my nomination is Caleb McKinley. I got to put up Carson Bordeaux. Picked off Brady Rose on Motor Shores' very first play of the game. That's when you thought the game was clearly going in Central's favor. But it didn't stop there. He had 70 yards of offense, eight tackles, nearly had a second pick, but it was called back, defensive pass interference on a kind of a questionable play because the ball didn't really look catchable. I mean, we talked to him last week, and we were like, you're the dude too again, man. He, he almost had it. It's like We're giving him like a 1.5 with like a little asterisk there. That gives him 12 for the season, which will put him in the state record books. The state record book starts at 12 for interception. For a short season. Yeah, for a short season. For a short season. James, who's your nomination? I'm going to put up Aiden Schmuckle. I thought you were going to put up Aiden Gurdon, so I was going to go with an all-Aiden theme here for the show. But uh, Aiden Schmuckle, um, you know, his offensive numbers uh, weren't incredibly impressive. Like, he had seven carries for, I think, like seven yards. But, like, every one of those seemed like it was for a first down and, like, a third and one. Owen Mueller and Gabe Olivier were doing most of the most of the carrying the ball, and, you know, they'd get, like, three, four yards pop on first, second down, and then it'd be third and one or two, and they'd get the ball to, to Aiden, first down. And then he made one of the big plays of the game, too, stopping one of the two-point conversions that turned out to be a, a key in a 13-12 to 12 game. So I'm going to put up uh, Aiden Schmuckle. He also had two sacks in that game, too. All right, let's put up to a boat gentleman who wants to go first. I'm going to go with Bordeaux with the interception records on a short season. I mean, like, that's not a game record, but, like, that's a, that's a pretty big accomplishment. I mean, if we had four extra games, how, what more could he have done? Yeah, and, and to pick off the player of the year. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I still actually think I'm going to go with Caleb McKinley, probably just because the weight of the upset that it was over Edwardsburg, and he was responsible for both of those touchdowns in the second half. Responsible for a lot of the, the chain-moving plays. Almost like James said uh, with Aiden Schmuckle, it just seemed like every time they needed something, they could give the ball to, to Caleb McKinley, and he came through, which was just really big on his part, especially in those short-yardage situations, scoring both those touchdowns. And really, the big thing is was that he was able to get those two-point conversions that actually ended up making the difference in that game. I really think that he deserves a little bit of recognition there. Okay. I, I think you won me over, Jake. I go with Caleb, and they're going to be in the, okay. fi- be in the finals. Yeah, so Caleb so, McKinley, the latest. Carson's got another year left too. And Carson's, in Carson's got another year left too. So yeah, right. I mean, I mean, Caleb's got three or two years left. He's only a sophomore, which is very, very impressive. They're going to be relying on him. Apparently, um, he was he's actually was in the conversation to be the quarterback this season, but and was hoping to maybe get in a, a little bit on it next year. But uh, they apparently have some good – I mean, Aiden Gurdon is still just a junior. So, yeah, nonetheless, he is one heck of an athlete. So congratulations to Caleb McKinley for making it into the Get Around Hall of Fame. we got one more segment, the trifecta. Before we get there, i got to remind you one more time. This episode is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's is freaks about fresh feet, bread, and veggies. So that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. we got the trifecta, and I kind of had to laugh. 
Andrew posted a tweet that he came out of his inbox, and I say that Michigan is naming snow plows for this. So I figured we'd hop in on the fun and maybe get this thing going. Andrew, you've tweeted it out. You have to have an answer for this trifecta. Yeah, I thought about it a lot and, like, salty. I'm just going to go simple with salty because, like, we hear it all the time. Like, oh, that's you're, that, you're salty today. Like, that was a salty tweeter. You're, you're, stop being so salty about it. Like, I just wanted to be on my app. Like, okay, salty's coming down the road. I thought about it in, like, my snowboard sense and, like, fresh snow. They call it, like, fresh pow, like, powdered, like, fresh pow. So I thought, like, pow pow. But then I thought <laughs> of it, like, you could, like, label it on the side. You know, like, in a comic book where, like, they punch somebody and go pow. And there's, like, a big, like, exclamation yeah. point. So I would name it pow pow. And I would put the put the stickers on the actual plow. So, like, whenever it hit a big snowbank, pow pow. Can I name the ones that are currently out there for uh... – <laughs> Let James go first so you don't, you don't mess with his mind. I don't think you're going to take mine because I don't think that they would. the state would actually name one of this. What but, is it? Uh, mine would be uh, Mailbox Serial Killer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. Maybe we should put that one in. So a fifth grade class is naming this in Benton Harbor. The ones that what fifth graders have come up with so far have been Plowosaurus Rex, Sir Saltalot, Snowbony, Plowy McPlow. Plowy McPlowface? Yeah, just like Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, right. T- tiger? Okay, because their mascot is a tiger. Chill Bill. Frosty. And these are all... These are I all like Chill Bill. I, I like Chill Bill. That's that's enough for us. It's a nice that? Quentin episode? Tarantino reference, too. Right, Chill Bill, right? That is that is episode 159 of the Get Around podcast. Obviously, we have two more games to cover here at Ford Field this weekend, so keep a lookout in the Record Eagle for the results of that Cadillac versus Detroit Country Day and Traverse City St. Francis versus New Orleans games coming this weekend. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.